0: Hello, and welcome to the Digital Health Leaders podcast, where we bring the best of the best in digital health leadership to you. I'm Russ Branzell, President and CEO of the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, and the host of this podcast. These are truly unprecedented times for our industry and our healthcare leaders. These leaders are doing everything they can to support our frontline caregivers and guide their organizations through some of the most tumultuous times in modern history. Today, we have one of those special leaders with us. Our guest for today is John Kravitz, Corporate CIO at Geisinger Health System and our 2020 Chair for CHIME's Board of Trustees. John, thank you for everything you're doing and Geisinger for your patients, clinicians, students, and colleagues during this amazing time that we're all having to work in. Welcome, John.
1: Thank you, Russ. I'm, I'm happy to be part of this podcast and share some of the experiences that, uh, that we've had as an organization and how we've taken uh, this opportunity uh, to really leverage the way healthcare changes from really a bricks and mortar uh, type of healthcare delivery, especially in our outpatient or ambulatory settings, to more of a digital uh, healthcare delivery network. So happy to share that and uh, very excited about this opportunity to share.
0: Perfect, John. Well, you're obviously a great friend of Chimes and a great friend of all of ours in the industry. But uh, the first question really is about that, which is, this has got to be an amazing amount of stress and pressure on you and your organization. How are you and your team during this doing during this unprecedented time?
1: Well, Russ, you know, I think um, everyone rises to the occasion. I'm sure a lot of my colleagues across the country, uh, Chime members uh, or not, and hopefully future Chime members. Uh, but I, I think we get a lot of strength from a situation like this. And what I mean by that is, um, we are aware of the criticality of the situation. And there is an intense focus by all, all, the, all members of the IT infrastructure, whether that's IT, analytics, um, you know, every component of that kind of pulls together and they become unified in their marching orders. And so, uh, and I've talked to a lot of my CIO colleague friends who have gone through this similar scenario and they're experiencing the same thing. It's a laser focus as we move forward with uh, the movement quickly to a a digital uh, technology deployment. Uh, Moving away, as I mentioned in my opening statement, from bricks and mortar, uh, especially for outpatient clinics or urgent care center uh, type visits, we still have those, but, but people honestly are afraid to go to them or they'll only go there when they're in their dire need uh, to move there. So some of the scenarios that we've talked about was moving to telemedicine, right? As an industry, we've been fired up and excited about using telemedicine, but not having a lot of the payers to support telemedicine uh, moving forward. Um, IT has uh, has worked, and, and we at Geisinger fortunately have a very strong telemedicine department that's been cultivated over the past two years. Um, I think they have made great strides to move forward with uh, the digital the digital transition to move for the provider working in the home setting or a provider being properly social distance still in the healthcare uh facilities, maybe their own office, maybe in a large conference room where multiple providers can speak without interrupting one another, um, and still be very, very far away from each other so they don't spread this horrible disease. I think that's one scenario that we've talked about that I think can really help us um, as, as an organization to move to, the, to the, new, the new normal, if you will. You hear a lot of the new normal status and, and that discussion point, but I really feel that telemedicine is the future and it is a way for providers to be able to provide services to patients because not every patient's ambulatory. Not every patient has to leave a skilled nursing facility engage an ambulance driver, have all these additional costs and expense, and then come into the healthcare institution, which potentially can expose that patient to a lot of new disease conditions that their compromised immune system really cannot support effectively. So, you know, those are some of the scenarios, but there's also um, the ease of use. And parents in the middle of the night where their child wakes up crying because they have an ear infection or a sore throat, um, the ability to do a telemedicine visit to get medication quickly at a 24 by 7 pharmacy and to start uh, easing the pain for the child is a big deal. And, um, and we've known that's a big deal in healthcare for a long time. The challenges that we've had in the past have been payers have not been willing to pay for these services. And, um, you know, for a lot of us, that's been a challenge. And we try to demonstrate and explain to them. Uh, that this is really a value add to their patients and a value to them as well uh, to to eliminate further disease conditions or to eliminate uh, advancement of a a condition because it can be addressed quickly and efficiently. So I think, you know, that's one of the scenarios in this unprecedented time is is moving more to digital technology. Another one is analytics. Um, Analytics for all organizations are really important. And in the COVID-19 era that we're in right now, and the ramp up, unfortunately, of the disease, uh, we see it hitting New York City very heavily. We see it hitting Seattle and the West Coast very heavily. Uh, But what we're concerned about is what are the next steps? When are we gonna hit the peak of this thing and start coming down? Unfortunately, we don't know that they've even hit the peak in New York City yet. Uh, I read this morning where the governor of New York City, uh, Governor Cuomo, had talked about less deaths occurring yesterday, less ICU visits occurring yesterday or patients admitted to the ICU. We're hopeful, fingers crossed, saying prayers, that this is you know, the start of the turn for New York City, which is such a hotbed. And then you have New Orleans. There's, there's hotbeds all over the place. So um, you know, the concern here is how do we track this? How do analytics help us? How do they identify where, where it's creeping through the system? So if I can give you an example, uh, Geisinger is in multiple parts of the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, The part where I live, the northeastern part of the state is very heavily being hit right now. It's it's kind of infiltrating from New York through New Jersey and into Pennsylvania. And so we, uh, as a healthcare system, we see a hotbed. We have a large influx of patients being tested screened and tested and becoming inpatients in the northeastern part of the state where a majority of our health system has not experienced that yet. Now, does that help us? Yes, I think it does help us because it gives us the ability to show how we can demonstrate in a proof of concept, but it's a real live proof of concept, how we can wrap up, be effective and efficient at treating those patients, looking to expand ICU beds like they've done in New York City taking large arenas or taking large buildings and, and putting up a an ICU or tents like in, in the, that's happening in Central Park. So those are scenarios where you learn from other people and you try to share that information because this is a horrible disease and we're right in the middle of it. So I'm gonna stop there, Russ, and, and see if uh, you have any other questions.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting right now, whether it's past CHIME members who have either recently or maybe a little bit longer than recently retired our foundation partners in the vendor community and just even just average people all are are asking the question what can we do to help because they see these health systems on TV especially New York and Seattle and some of these other areas that are just being inundated right now and as I tell them uh, this is just called status quo for most of our health systems now but what can they do to help what would you recommend they do to help right now
1: well, I, you know, I would think, um, one thing might be to reach out to the CIO. I know they are really slammed with work and trying to be a traffic cop, so to speak, to, uh, to coordinate the efforts that are underway. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes just having a discussion with them, offering to help, uh, can go a long way. Um, also if, if there are ways and we can all do this remotely, for example, I'm working from home and I have been for the last couple of weeks. Um, while IT is is essential, it's not considered essential for every aspect of IT uh, to have to be in the building and p- be predisposed to this uh, this disease that's that's occurring. And most of our buildings are, are offsite anyway. So I think the opportunity there um, to offer support, to offer assistance to the CIO, to be part of the team uh, can really be valuable or invaluable in a situation like this. And and oftentimes. The CIO may just need someone to bounce ideas off of who has more experience, who's been seasoned in this type of work. Although this is something we haven't seen in our lifetimes, uh, my, my lifetime especially, experiencing anything like this, where usually you, you hit a big event like 9-11, um, and then you see it subside, and then you could recover from it. But this is something we just don't know the extent of what we're going to see. It's like, it's like a tsunami that hasn't come in yet. And we're anticipating the tsunami and how we can uh, be ready for it to care for these people and care for their lives. And we just don't know when that tsunami is going to hit us at this point in time. So that's what's making it really challenging and difficult for us to react to.
0: Well, Geisinger has been known as uh, innovative and cutting edge digital organization for years and years and uh, I know in my previous position we used to benchmark against Geisinger all the time not just IT but the organization as a whole but this came on so fast it went from wow what is this concern that everybody's talking about to full pandemic what did your team have to do in reaction to this and to move quickly to home and quickly to digital and quickly to telemedicine and to open up new ICUs how did your team have to react? What was that journey like over that short period of time?
1: Well, I, I can tell you this, Russ. Um, I am glued to the clinical teams, uh, the physician leadership. Um, I, my teams are glued to them. We we kind of separate and divide and con- conquer, if you will, uh, to make sure we're meeting all those needs for the organization. And let me give you one specific example. Uh, and we all dealt with this, but. You know the tents, the tents so that we can do the screening for patients outside of our EDs or our urgent care centers. Um, setting up, you know, those tents that are really mobile mass units. You know, we drop fiber to those units, and we have every piece of equipment in those units that we would have inside of our facility um, to prepare that quickly to uh, To prepare for changing weather conditions we've already had tents that have caught fire from a heater because the proper heating elements weren 't put into them yet. It was happening so quickly didn't hurt anyone didn't cause any problems but these are the scenarios that you experience when you're you're doing things on the fly to try to treat patients effectively without spreading that disease across other patients and so you know a lot of workflow changes have occurred. Um, We've gone through this process, as many, many, many other healthcare systems have, and I think we've, we've weathered that piece effectively. Now, when we talk you know, about Geisinger in digital and, and, and innovation, yeah, we've been an innovative organization, but not innovative in this respect, where we're ready to go to just turn a switch and say, oh, we can go complete digital. Um, we're preparing for it, but to be honest with you, we had to take and um, and train uh, through Skype meetings providers 1,800 providers in a week to get them outfitted so they could do telemedicine services. We had to provide well over a thousand iPads out, or you know Surface hubs or Surface I'm sorry Surface uh, devices or or tablet devices out to providers. So you know we fortunately. Knock on wood, had an inventory of iPads that, that we acquired, and I'm probably gonna have to get more uh, because this is a, a pressing need. But we burned through well over 1,000 already, had 1,500 in inventory, um, and have been redeploying because we had an IPS environment working for us so that we can provide services to the patients in beds. Now, you know, the world has changed. It's not the IPS environment anymore. It's an environment where we need to do telehealth visits because our clinics are closed. Uh, because patients don't want to come into them; they're afraid to come into them. Uh, our volumes have dropped so drastically that we've decided to close and consolidate clinics where possible. Um, so, so these types of things, again, not innovation, but changing to meet the need for the business and for the environment we're in. So, talking about some things that are innovation, you know, we've we've deployed some some new uh, artificial intelligence chatbot technology, which can help us on our website. Uh, for screening of patients. Now, that doesn't take the place of a nurse in a a contact center. Uh, We do have that leverage as well, but it's part of the process for either education with Q&A, patient screening to help them go through this process, and access to to bring them right into our our nurse triage contact center, so that they can uh, effectively do a complete screening with that patient on the phone and then plan for them to be screened, uh, the nasal swab uh, screening and everything else for them, whether it's a drive up tent, or whether it's a, you know, one of our uh, screening tents uh, at one of our campuses or one of our clinics, uh, so that we can effectively you know, diagnose and begin treatment of those patients if necessary, or quarantine them and send them home for 14 days. And a majority of our patients have not come into our facilities, uh, they have been uh, quarantined and sent home, and if their condition changes, they're instructed how they can reach a doc through telemedicine and then initiate a process to get into the facility if it's necessary, especially our elderly patients or compromised immune condition, uh, immune system patients. So yes, there have been there have been a lot of innovation things too, but we didn't have those all ready to rock and roll and move out quickly. Because we didn't anticipate anything like this, you know, it's it's unprecedented times, and I think you know we've we've gotten creative on the fly. Um, but having that information available, because we have heat maps and everything else that's out there and available, we utilize tools like uh, University of Pennsylvania or MIT or other uh, tool sets that are available in order to do predictive modeling to determine when the peak will be coming and how we'll be prepared for that peak and what that what the volume of patients in med surge beds might be and what the volume of patients in ICU beds might be. And then having equipment like ventilators available to them or breathing apparatus or just oxygen tanks that we can help uh, get them over the hump, if you will. And we've had a lot of patients recover and we've had some uh, people expire as well as all health systems have, but uh, challenging times indeed.
0: We're all in this together, including our foundation partners, our CIOs, CMIOs, and every kind of leaders. There are special friends that have come alongside of us to support us during this time and this podcast, now a message about those great supporters.
1: Today's episode of Digital Health Leaders has been brought to you by LK, your healthcare data plumbers. Learn more at LK.com. That's E-L-L-K-A-Y.com.
0: How many people did you transition to remote work just in that one week or weekend?
1: Uh, well, remote for telemedicine, it wasn't over a weekend. It was about a five to seven day process. And our telemedicine department, I think, did a phenomenal job supported by IT every step of the way. Uh, but we, we transitioned 1,800 providers uh, to be able to do telemedicine visits quickly. And, uh, and that's become our new norm. And we're seeing those ramping up. I think we uh, between tele- telephone, telephonic visits and video conference visits, we're knocking off 5,000 a day and continue to grow that number. It's, it's ramping up daily. I get the reports uh, at the end of the day, usually late in the evening, and uh, they continue to ramp up. So it's impressive, the, the work that the team has been doing, the, adaption, uh, the, the adoption and the ad- adaptation by our providers. Um, where I live, I have providers that actually coincidentally work for Geisinger. Uh, and I've spoken to them, you know, uh, on, uh, at night and, and just asked how it was going. They said it's going very well. They're very accustomed to it. It's easy to do. It's effective for their patients. It's keeping patients that aren't um, ambulatory enough to be able to get into the clinic, um, keep them connected and, and care for them effectively. And that's not just primary care. That's nephrology. That's cardiology uh, providers and others. So, you know, I think we're seeing where, where this is becoming effective. Um, for treating of, of our patients.
0: So, obviously, you put it very well there that w- we didn't see this coming. Um, and, and we, though, miraculous and heroic work by your team and many others to get people to work from at home, telemedicine, virtual care, and so many other things uh, almost was an instant reality. Um, thinking a little forward and maybe a little prayerfully and hopefully as this calms down as this, we hopefully find a vaccine and a cure and some resolution. This is this is such a in both a positive way in in what's affecting care, but also just transformational to the way care is being delivered. Then what next? Is this just the new normal? Do we transition back to the way we were? What do you think is going to happen? Because this was probably 10 years worth of technology change all done in a few weeks. What happens after this, uh, as you see looking forward? Well,
1: that's, that's a really great question. I hope we don't turn back and go back to the old bricks and mortar processes. Every location, actually, you know, healthcare has been uh, undergoing changes over the number of past number of years, um, and we've looked at ways to reduce expense but provide a higher quality uh, service to our patients and hopefully a cost-effective approach to healthcare. Um, you know, is this the new norm? And do we look at potentially having less clinic sites for patients to go into, uh, maybe more centralized sites, but using telemedicine to provide those services to, you know, to our patients? I think I think the difference here is there have been some relaxation of some roles, some HIPAA privacy roles in this pandemic state, also uh, credentialing roles. So Providers do not have to be credentialed in their respective state at this point in time, but have more of a national credentialing that you're a provider in the United States and you can provide services to patients that may cross over state lines. Many of us live on state lines and, and you know, we can have healthcare being provided to patients and in, in our case from New Jersey, from New York, from Delaware, from all over the place. Why do we have to be credentialed and go through that long, drawn-out, bureaucratic process? In my mind, that's my opinion. That's, that's not the rules of the law. But I think, you know, we need to be more flexible and really care for patients. Is it all about having everything perfectly, perfectly structured um, while we're giving proper care and protecting patients' rights and privacy and everything else? Can't we provide those types of services to those patients? I think, you know, going forward, this happened so quickly. And I'll give you an example. Um, we have a lot of our employees working from home uh, to the tune of over 13,000 of Geisinger's support employees are working from home at this time. That's, that's supply chain, finance, IT, telemedicine. They're all working from home. Uh, if you're not a direct patient caregiver, directly, directly seeing patients and supporting that you were told to work from home. So we had to ramp up our systems basically overnight. Um, we fortunately had planned a little ahead for this because we do, being in the Northeast part of the country, we do get nor'easter snowstorms, which can bury with up to two feet of snow in less than 12 hours, 24 hours. So we were prepared to, in the past, support about 6,000 people working from home because of the conditions, but that was short term. That wasn't anything that's going to go on for six, eight, 12 weeks. So, um, you know, we had to make some changes really fast, spent a lot of long nights uh, ramping up equipment and everything else to make that work. Um, And it is working. It's working well. So I guess this begs the next question is how many people that are providing support level services that aren't directly touching a provider, directly touching a patient from IT, do we need to have on-premise? And how many office spaces do we need to have for these people? It's gonna be the next question because that can reduce our expenses dramatically uh, for the organization. Not having to fit out office space for everyone all over the place if we can have systems that can meet this need and we can still be in live Skype meetings and everything else uh, to support this.
0: You know, it's interesting because you think about this over the last few years, we took a lot of hits for putting in electronic health records and digital radiography systems and cardiology. Do you think we could have done all of this if we hadn't gone through that pain?
1: No, absolutely not. If we didn't have the extensive electronic health records, the extensive analytics systems that we have, uh, the radiology and, and looking forward at things like a vendor neutral archive for all imaging across an organization and leveraging the cloud. The cloud has helped us immensely, and we are mostly data center centric at this point. Only 30% of my apps are residing in clouds, and they're in private clouds now. It's not a public cloud scenario. However, I can tell you, we did move all of our Office Suite users to the Office 365 cloud, which many of my colleagues have done. I'm seeing a lot less traffic hitting the organization for that purpose. They can multi-factor authenticate into the cloud, get to their email, get to their calendar appointments, get to their shared folders, which are on OneDrive and take a lot of that traffic away. Now think about this. If we get to an environment where, um, you know, we, we have a lot of clutter in our environment with older applications, but we have to make the decision We've got to do the migration to the cloud where cloud is replicated into multiple data centers, whether it's AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, uh, Rackspace, I mean, you name it. They, they are replicated all over the place and have maximum uptime availability. So, you know, we make that transition. That'll make this even better. And that much easier for people to utilize without having to come into the traditional data center approach and get access to things where you have to scale up and scale down uh, effectively using the cloud will allow us to scale up and keep that scale up uh, to a much higher degree as other industries have very wisely done ahead of us
0: well it's obvious that geisinger has been doing this for a long time you've told me some of the stories you all have been on medical records for decades now and doing a lot of work to do just what you're talking about moving things to the cloud and getting ready for What really was perceived to be other things, but in turn, you've been able to leverage. So really with your organization, but you in particular, uh, a lot of people follow your career, follow you as a leader out in the industry. What's that one great idea that if everybody could implement, it would make healthcare a little bit better, a little bit easier, maybe a little bit more affordable or deliver care? It doesn't have to be during this crisis or it could be part of this. What's that one great idea that John Kravitz wants everybody in the world to adopt and know?
1: Well, I think Russ. You know, we we talk about this from from CHIME, and i I've been a CHIME member for 21 years, um, and fortunately, I was I was able to serve CHIME in a much larger capacity by becoming a board member, uh, being elected to the board, and then being elected to the chairman for the boardship. And I, I really respect the organization because I think it brings so much to our colleagues in healthcare, uh, the the tools that are available the camaraderie, uh, collegiality to be able to, to pick up a phone or email someone and get someone on the phone. And even people right now in this situation, and it's not because I'm the chair of Chime, they don't even know that. But I reached out to a CIO on the West Coast out in LA over the weekend. He and I are talking today about the ability to, uh, to when patients walk through a doorway, to, to register their temperature simultaneously and know if they're at risk because their temperature is outside of a range. Like It's almost like Star Trek you know, things that they've done, that we've done, and we share with one another. I think that's the value that Chime brings. And and part of Chime, and we talked about this at the Chime Fall Forum, is the, the CIO 3.0 and how that CIO works with the organization to help push the business forward, to help not just support the business in the background, but to change the way things are being done. And this is a prime example with how we can flex up, how we can bring people uh, from the home setting and make them just as effective if not more effective because they're actually working more hours because they're in their home setting. They're not traveling to and from work. They're not spending more time doing other things getting distracted, but they're able to put in more effort, more time to hit our ultimate goal, which is providing a solution. I think that telehealth and other things are really, really important. And the direction of Chime for the future It is, it is digital strategy. How do you support that digital strategy? How do you look at moving to the cloud? How do you support telemedicine moving forward? These are all things that we're doing as a whole. I would say, you know, those are things that I'd like to see continue uh, for healthcare CIOs and CMIOs and, and, you know, CISOs and everyone else. We have that that cadre of membership in Chime and they're very active and very willing to share this kind of information. I, you know, I don't think Geisinger has any one silver bullet. Uh, we've been doing a lot with population health and other things to help um, initiate and using uh, bots and other technology to, to help us. We're not alone in that. Others have done the same thing. Uh, we just continue to drive and look for efficiencies and better quality outcomes for our patients. Um, we are looking to make things better for the population as a whole. We are very much in a population health type environment uh, where we are. And uh, and we're gonna continue down that path. I think, you know, a standard payment for services but providing top quality healthcare services at the least uh, or the the most effective cost to provide those services is what we're all about. And I think healthcare is gonna continue to change. And I think uh, a precipitous change like this because of, of a pandemic is really important, but it shows how healthcare is not lagging behind like people perceive it to be. Healthcare has the agility and the ability to move forward quickly and to enable this type of technology. I think this is the, the start of something that's much bigger on our horizon and it's very much in congruence with our Chime 3.0 strategy.
0: Well, John, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your willingness to share with so many others out there. And uh, thank you to Geisinger for taking care of the patients.
1: Well, thank you, Russ. It's my pleasure to be part of this uh, inaugural podcast and uh, very excited to keep moving forward. So thank you. Thanks.
0: Thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast. You can visit our website at chimecentral.org slash media for this and other podcasts. To all of our healthcare heroes and first responders out there, thank you, take care, and God bless.